Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. sick and as is such the show will be less coffee and sneezy and i don't know whatever else happens <laughs> when you're sick and as i say that i cough uh this is bantering the blue shirts we are inside of your ear and the we is me beth macklin and michael murphy lady gentlemen how are you i'm good here good here sure. present we are present um great we are all present this show is sponsored by our donors on Patreon, who are good people. And if you are not donating, they're better people than you are. There are a lot of them. Whoa. They're amazing people. Their names are Anthony Viola, Anthony, Matt Bader, Eric Cohn, <laughs> Daniel DeShane, <laughs> Michael Silvers, Trevor Kempner, Thomas Osa, Alexander Thornton, Nicholas Forlenza, Dan Carosi, Taylor Ryder, John J. Porter, Armiel Kistner, and Zachary Zetlin. Thank you, all of you, Alex, for donating. The guy named Patreon. Alexander Thornton sounds like someone who killed a man in a duel at the turn of the century. Ooh, that does sound like it. Yeah. Thomas Alexander Olsen is a name that reminds me of, like, a Norwegian sea captain, like an oil rig captain. And uh, that's where that's going to be. Anyway, these people went to patreon.com slash blueshirtbanter and said, we have some money that we would like to give them monthly. There are donation levels. You can go in. You can do things. You get things. Uh, you can get your own personal podcast if you really want. We got two of those actually that we need to. Uh, we have two of those that we need to reach out and do at some point. Um, but yeah, you should go do it, and it will be awesome, and you will be a better person for it because you will help us either bail Beth out of jail, or you will put a little money into the show and make it better. And I happened to uh, hang out with Mike's brother and Michael a couple of weeks ago, and we are working on a new show introduction that's going to be a little flashier and a little cleaner. So get ready. The show, Bantering the Blue Shirts, is coming at you, and it's coming at you fast. Um, and Michael Silvers is an awesome person, too, just in case anybody has any questions. Um, <laughs> anywho, last week... It kind of seemed like everything was bad. Yeah, there was not a lot of good things last week. And this week, it seems like things are better because Henrik Lundqvist is better. Michael. Well, Joe, hold on. Are you suggesting that the Rangers fans have reacted dramatically to a three-game losing streak followed by a three-game winning streak? Surely not. I am suggesting that in the... If these were people in power, they would have hit the nuclear button on the New York Rangers. 
let's not talk about people in power. That's gonna yeah, that's that's a, especially with go for a hole I don't want to go down. Um, <laughs> I, I would say that they, you know, it's so rare for the New York Rangers fan base to overreact. You know what I mean? It is such a such a such rare an white feel. elk moment, right? It's a, it's a fan base that does not get over emotional. They do not make knee-jerk reactions. They are <laughs> level-headed and complacent, and they, they think things through before saying things. They never boo um, They're anyone. also our, tar- our target audience, so maybe we shouldn't they, be just taking well, a big steaming dump on them. But uh, we do love you people. We, 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 like, love we love having sunrises every day. Um, but as someone who loves you, if you were panicked about <laughs> Hendrick Lundqvist, I am disappointed in you. <laughs> I, I am disappointed. I am not mad. I'm disappointed. Yeah, it will take yeah, quite a bit of, of time for me to, to to earn my trust back. And my trust is something you want. I don't know why. You may never meet me, but it is something you want. Um, Michael, why don't you uh, why don't you talk about this overreaction and kind of where we are now and other things. Well, it's uh, it's been really interesting because you know Hank had you know a pretty solid game in the in the rematch against um, the Leafs, and you know I think was it, he allowed two goals in that, and he looked he looked pretty good, and it was good to see that you know that losing could come to an end, and then uh, the Rangers played in you know a really really flat bizarre game, which I'm still trying to process against Detroit, but uh, say what you will, you know, Lundqvist got a shutout. And even against the Detroit team, that's really not what, you know, their their historically long playoff uh, streak's going to come to an end this year. But um, it's Hank getting a shutout after allowing two goals, and then the next day he stole the game from the Kings. And uh, now, you know, there's a bunch of tweets about how you know, Lundqvist in his first 12 seasons with 20 win seasons, and, you know, all of a sudden there's all these numbers to, you know, stand in stark contrast to his worst save percentage ever and all this other stuff. And it seems like very quickly the winds have shifted and people are already kind of saying, oh, well, he's back now. Um, but, you know, I think that's, you know, it's I'm not ready to jump on the everything's fine now because, you know, it's three consecutive good games and that's great. But, uh, and historically we've seen that December for whatever reason is his worst month. Um, I think it's, uh, probably has something to do with eggnog being in overabundance, but, um, it's, it's a good thing to see, you know, Hank rebound. And frankly, you know, I think he just stole the game against the Kings. Um, uh, I forget how many shots the Rangers ended up with. I knew, I know it was under 20, which is really not good. <laughs> Seven, um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they took, like, three shots. They took, like, eight shots, and they scored three goals. But um, they won the game, and it wasn't because, you know, any forwards had particularly brilliant games or anything like that. Uh, it was just that Hank was that good. He had an unreal game. And that's three consecutive games where he's been kind of the Henrik Lundqvist that we know and expect him to be. And I think many Rangers fans, you know, including us at times, have been spoiled by. You know, you just expect, like, oh, yeah, this is what Henrik Lundqvist looks like, which is 
a goalie who will steal games against the best possession hockey team in the league. There's not a lot of goalies who can do that, especially when they're, you know, off their game and struggling. So, and especially after coming off of a, you know, I think the Detroit LA was back to back. So it was an afternoon game and then, you know, a little bit over, you know, 24 hours rest before, you know, you're, or less than that, actually. But you know what I mean. I'm not good with math, people. And then right back into the garden of space, the king. So, I don't know, Beth, are you happy that the wind shifted with Hank? Oh, you know, it's all the same Henrik Lundqvist. We can't, like, fall into this, you know, it's not a Jekyll and Hyde situation. Um, he's one guy. Uh, his what we do have to adjust is the idea that our baseline is abs- the absolutely exceptional goaltending we saw last night. That is not anybody's baseline. Um, that is massively elite. And, you know, I, I hope that the message people take from this is, you know, that exceptional and norm are not the same thing. Um and maybe there will be a little less of the exceptional um, as Lundqvist gets older. I mean, in a sense, that's inevitable. And it is going to start sometime. And maybe this fan base, um, and frankly, probably the organization, have to think about how they're going to deal with that because it will happen. It would happen to anybody. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the behavior and the responses of the crowd, um, you know, it. I can't imagine that, you know, the good cheers sound quite the same after the booing uh, from down in the net. Um, and I think we just have to, re- you know, kind of remember that this is the same guy. And, you know, perhaps yeah. be... Again, if you want to be a crab person in the privacy of your own home, you know, and and do monologues to your mirror about how Lundqvist sucks and his contract and blah, 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 go right ahead. But to bring that to MSG, when you have a team that's had so many other significant issues for so long, um, and then to turn around on a dime as if nothing happened the next week, I mean... Yeah, it's sports. Yeah, it's fandom. But seriously, you know, I feel like going into mom mode. But you know, show a little respect. Um, it's like a be a little less mercurial. Ooh, it's a good word. Um, it, it's it, the heel turn happens so fast. The, this is I made the comment on Twitter and actually got a, a elicited a positive response from Steve Zappé, which is, that is like actually seeing a rare white elk, um, who I, I said, half of the people who are currently standing and cheering for Lundquist are probably people who booed him a couple of nights ago. And Zappé said, you know, more than half and, you know, whatever. Um, but the, the reality of the situation is, I, I, listen, I am 100% for a rabid, passionate fan base that has absolute high demands and, you know, the saying, if you reach for the moon and the stars are, maybe you'll walk away with the moon. And I I get it. But I do not 
think it is productive. We were talking about this before the show. I've never been someone to boo uh, very rarely, and I, I've never booed an individual player. I have booed in, in my younger, less informed days, the team as a whole when they were truly terrible, but I, I've never booed an individual player. And it's not that Lundquist has done all this stuff and he deserves to be free of the shackles that the people are, that we would throw onto them. I was saying before the show, I would like to believe that everybody would hold the same standards no matter who the player is. I don't care that Henrik Lundqvist has pushed the Rangers into relevance and given them 10 years of elite-level hockey where he may be the best goaltender in the league and one of the best goaltenders to ever play the game. That should not stop the Rangers from, or that should not allow the Rangers to give him another enormous extension when this contract is over. It doesn't work like that. You don't pay a player tomorrow for something they did yesterday but there are levels of respect and this is where nobody gets on Girardi because they don't like Girardi the person or because Girardi didn't do enough in his time in New York it's just simply that you have to at some point make the realization that okay this is a player who's not worth his contract who's not doing well in the role that's been given to him and we have not seen any changes and it's impossible to convey the thought that you're not being upset with Girardi, you're upset with the coach, but that's the way that it comes across. So, yes, it it has been fantastic to see Lundqvist sort of um, rebound a little bit. I I don't think there's a single person in the world who will tell you that he was not slumping along with this team, but the Rangers did not play a good game last night. The Rangers against the Kings, for whenever you're listening to this. The Rangers played a terrible game, and Henrik Lundqvist happened to be brilliant. And it was the second game in a row where Lundqvist had to be brilliant for the Rangers to win the game. And like it or not, that is the way that these things are going to go until the Rangers address this defense, which may never happen. But I saw some people claiming that Lundqvist was okay, that the defense kind of took care of him last night. That is a load of crap. And Henrik Lundqvist, I'm writing a story that if, if Lundqvist returns to form will not be really relevant at all, but I hope I don't have to publish the story or maybe I can change it. But regardless, it's sort of about how Lundqvist has, has watched himself become the villain in a way. And in it, I found a story from Beth last year from February about Lundqvist. And in it, she made a couple of comments that was like, Oh, Lundqvist is back. Relax. He's got this. And, He's acting a little crazy and, and yelling and, in other words, being a goalie. And we're starting to see phrases in, in the rope. Lundqvist has always been a very steely, cold, not, not necessarily cold, but he, he's not been overly emotional with the media. He never really says anything out of place. You don't see him break on the ice. In the past two years, that has not been the case. You see him glaring down a teammate, saying in the media the goals aren't all his, throwing the net off the moorings. And I think part of that is there is so much pressure on him, and it's almost impossible to, to reach those expectations. And here's the thing, to keep me from rambling, this is the last thing that I'll say, and I'll turn it mm-hmm. over to you guys. You can take this. I didn't notice after the game against the Kings, Vigneault made comments about, like, look at the good teams in the league. They're getting timely saves. Hank made some timely saves against the Kings. We need those timely saves. And insinuated that that has been something that has not been happening. And it makes my blood boil 
because timely saves makes it seem like, oh, every now and again, the defense breaks down and we need Lundqvist to be there to stop us. But that's not what the truth is. The truth is that those moments happen early and often in every game. And I just think sometimes Vigneault alienates his goaltender and players who are not quote-unquote trusted veterans through the media. And we've had a lot of discussions about me reading too much into Vigneault's comments and coach speak and whatnot, but those comments like that, the timely saves comment, are not things that I can just let go because you know Lundqvist is reading them and you know he's thinking in the back of his head, what in the flying hell has to happen? for someone other than me to take the brunt of whatever's happening in the media. And Beth, you can, you can jump in here. I mean, what does a timely save even mean? When is a bad time to make a save? <laughs> I don't, that just doesn't play out. Yeah, every I every mean, save by definition is timely. That's why they're called saves. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to, it does seem, even if you're trying to be diplomatic, that A.B. seems almost determined to take Lundqvist down a peg um, for reasons that make no sense to me because why on earth would you want to make Henrik Lundqvist unhappy? Um, but and again, we're all we're always coming back to the what gets said about Lundqvist that doesn't get said about certain other veterans. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the word last night for some of the saves he made was not timely. Uh, it was <laughs> I don't know they'd be all superlative and yeah, uh, Vigneault is not a superlative guy. He's consistent in that, at least. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's he can't even seem to dispense a pat on the head uh, to the guy who's basically possibly, you know, helped him hold on to his job for a couple of years now. And, um, again, there's a part of me that really hopes that uh, Lundquist writes a tell-all a few years down the road and we find out what was actually going on between these two, because I think it would be a pretty grim story. I don't know. Mike? Well, the first thing I want to say is I don't don't normally have this reaction to things. I know that Joe is normally the the one who, you know, gets heated up, but trying to take credit away from (laughs) trying to take... I work myself into a lather. You get all warmed up. Yeah, a warm... I almost Buttery said frosty, but now it did technically, yeah. All right. Um, so trying to take credit away from Lundqvist for the win against the Kings is really frustrating. Rangers allowed 32 shots at even strength in that game, and that's just the shots that hit the net. Those were the – Hank saved 30 of them, and one of the goals that got by him with, was with 1.8 seconds or something like that um, after the Kings had pulled the goalie. So – no defense worth anything. And this was more a story of just the Rangers being dominated by a team that does nothing but dominate in possession every game they play. That's why the Kings always look the way they do. But the Rangers were outshot 32 to 17. Um, that That isn't because the Rangers forwards had the puck a whole lot and just decided to 
really carefully <laughs> pick their shots against Jeff Matkoff. That's because the Rangers struggled to maintain possession of the puck and that the defense bled shots. And trying to take that, you know, I, I wasn't aware that there was a significant portion of, you know, the Rangers fans' population that were trying to say, oh, you know, the D did that and this. And there were a couple of good plays made by the Rangers D in that game. I'm not trying to say that didn't happen, but your goalie should never be in a game where they're asked to to face in the neighborhood of 30 shots at even strength. That's that's an absurd amount of, of traffic, especially if it's not like a wide-open game, crazy Pittsburgh-Washington game where the score is 8-7 to seven or whatever the hell it was, and, you know, it's just a shooting gallery. This was a game where, you know, I know the Rangers may have been tired from playing the day before, but, you know, very, very nearly outshot 2-1 to one does not <laughs> – the credit goes to one person if you come away with a win. It's the goalie. So um, I, I, I don't really know how how we feel in general about um, you know I wrote I wrote an article um, a couple of weeks ago now I think about uh, you know the tale of two kings and you know whether or not we should expect Henrik to bounce back and you know I've thought I've thought a lot about it and I've thought a lot about how people get so um, you know because we've been hearing it actually for at least three or four years now the uh, fans, or more like two or three years, the fans who were really worked up about um, Hank's cap, you know, which is 8.5 million. And the thing that always, you know, gets under my skin about that is, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the price of someone that's a generational talent. That's what you, that's what you pay. That's why, you know, P.K. Subban you know, there's a reason why his cap hit is what it is. You know, there's a reason why, you know, Crosby's cap hit is what it is. You know, these are these are very, very special athletes. And when Hank signed his contract, you know, there was still reason to believe that he was very much still had a lot of time left in his prime. And uh, the data shows that that was true. The Rangers made, in terms of throwing money at it, whether or not the, the length of the term will be wise, we'll see you know, as the years play out, but it was a wise investment to choose that this is a guy we want to make our franchise goalie. Um, because if you look around at his peers, the other goalies who, you know, have been, you know, the, the post-lockout exceptional goalies, guys like Carey Price and, you know, Tuka Rask and, you know, Pekka Rene and, you know, Rene has really fallen off a cliff from what he used to be if he ever was really exceptional. Um, and you look at Tuka Rask, who's having a bit of a renaissance this year, but his numbers, you know, he's enjoyed a very good team in front of him, and, you know, he's very good, but he also demands a lot of money on the cap cap space, and Carey Price is Carey Price. You know, it's a very, very short list. I know some people would say, oh, Jonathan Quick, but if you look at what, uh, you know, Budai's numbers have been this year, with quick out, you, you'll see that any pretty good goalie will look great for the Kings because that's how they play. It's a very, very small class of goalies that are anywhere in, near the conversation of Lundqvist. He's 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 anomalously good. So um, 
I don't know. It's a weird thing to hold players accountable for how much money they're making because, you know, they do sign the contract, but they don't write it up themselves. And to bring it back to what, what Joe brought up with Girardi is, you know, we can very easily get frustrated with Dan Girardi, but um, I've never, I don't know, I think I have a, a hard time understanding people who will really go out of their way to, you know, naysay or jump for, you know, puns about, oh, you know, king of what or, you know, you know, king Helberg and things like that. It's, I know most of the time they're doing it for shock value, but like the only Rangers I ever booed were guys like Billy Tibbetts, you know, who had criminal records and stuff. I booed bad people. I didn't boo, you know, players who were really, really struggling or, you know, who were clearly not good players. In fact, I grew up loving guys who were kind of, you know, the Jed Ortmeyers of the world. Like, those were the guys who I adored because I was like, oh, my God, they're really out of their element, but look how hard they're trying um, because that's kind of the, the Rangers I grew up with uh, when I was kind of at the height of my blind fandom. So, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling here, Joe. I'll let you come in and save me. <laughs> I will save you, Michael. I'm prepared. Um, I think you guys kind of hit all the the talking points in general. The 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 reality is there, there's going to be ups and downs. It would not shock me if Lundqvist fell into another sort of hole of struggling because this defense is not getting any better. This is not like guys working through struggles. This is the reality. Well, do you think this defense is? Do you think the defense will get better when Mark Stahl returns? It's something I've been thinking about now. I think this is game eight. That was game eight without Stahl, right? And, yes, I'm and I have to say, it's been up and down with Clendenning, but the defense, for the most part, I like what Clendenning brings more than Stahl, but he's not necessarily the guy I would take out. I mean, I don't feel like the defense is going to get better unless something happens at the deadline. Is that the way you feel? I would agree with that because if if Stahl does come back, it's going to be for Clendenning. And, and listen, Stahl had yeah. uh, Stahl had certainly taken some strides forward. So, in the event that Stahl comes back, yeah, I would like to see Stahl back in the lineup. But I would like to see him at the expense of Dan Girardi, which we know is not happening, and uh, or Kevin Klein, which again I don't think is happening. So, the problem becomes you, again. I cannot say this enough. You are not saying that Adam Clendenning is the next coming by wanting to see him in the lineup. Yes, he has defensive issues. Yes, he has defensive flaws. Just like everybody else on this team, Sands McDonough, and even he has some of them. But he, at the very least, brings a transition and offensive game that you are not getting out of Girardi and Klein under any circumstances. So you may as well give yourself the benefit of that much-needed transition to this system than not at all. And I think we've seen this movie enough to know how things are going to play out. Vigneault's going to say it was the right thing to do or, or talk about how you know they need that veteran leadership and whatever and whatever. And Clendenning's going to be in the press box, and eventually we're not going to see him at all. But I do think the defense could get better. I don't think they could get better to the point where the Rangers are contenders. That's going to take something like a Shattenkirk or a a Truba or really anyone who the Rangers could potentially gather at the trade deadline. And even so, it might not because this defense is so poisoned that 
you know, you, you need to make big changes. And, and we talked about this a little bit on the show with Pat, who had called in last week. I don't know if everybody on this episode or the show trusts Vigneault to utilize these players properly. And that's kind of where we are right now. Are we going to see another case where the Rangers give a lot to get a guy like Shattenkirk and then they turn around and they're just like, oh, you know what, he's going to be a third-pair guy and he's going to see some power play time? Or is this going to be a situation where the guy is, is going to actually play and he's going to make some replacements? And we're not going to have an answer for that until we have an answer for that. And unfortunately, I don't think we're going to like what we're going to hear. So um, unless you guys think I'm wrong, Beth, you can, you can jump in on that one. No, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, <clears throat> we're always going to keep circling back to this because it is the big unknown. It is the only thing that could possibly, um, you know, shift the team's potential in some sort of meaningful way. And, you know, we're waiting to see, but, you know, we've been hurt before, and that's why, you know, we're not that hopeful. I mean, the best thing to pin our hopes on is the good choices that Gordon seems to have made on offense, um, which would suggest that maybe he's gearing up to move to the other side of the ice. But, um, yeah, no way to know. But it is it is probably going to uh it is probably going to reveal a lot and you know we i think it's going to be disappointing when when Clendenning sits um and i think the fact that we all know that that's going to happen even though <laughs> Vigneault has proven himself ready and willing to sit or shuffle everybody on the offense um including Clyder now I know, fourth liner, Chris Kreider. Um, but, you know, if that's if that's where we're stuck, that's when we're stuck. If that's a piece that we have to keep using, and, you know, I've been watching too much Chopped, but it's like, you know, opening your basket and getting, you know, octopus or something, but it's in every basket. It's in the appetizer basket. It's in the dessert basket. And just like, you've got to make something with octopus. And if you guys don't watch Chopped or if nobody else watches Chopped, this isn't making sense to anybody. But anyway, it's an ingredient that you can't get rid of. So you have to work with it. Yeah, exactly. You have to work with it and you can't just chop it up into tiny pieces. Apparently throw it in the fryer later and sprinkle it on top because it's a first line defenseman. So clearly this analogy has reached its end and somebody else should talk now. Michael. Uh, I was was just thinking about the last time I watched chopped. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I used to really like old school iron chef too. Back before I got all corporate man. Um, no, but uh, I, I get what you're saying. It's a, it's a really interesting thing to to kind of gauge where the Rangers' defense is now, and um, something that's helpful to kind of understand what's wrong with the defense is to look at, you know, where it's come. But the Rangers are kind of a unique um, case just because last year the defense, you know, were so much – there's so much anxiety about how, you know, guys like how Keith Yandel was being used and the fact that Girardi was still around. Boy, Dan Boyle sure is old. And um, <laughs> Kevin Klein, you know, continuing his, you know, his counting stats, helping to cloud the fact that he's, you know, 
he's a third pair NHL defenseman now. Um, and this year, it's a weird thing to think, but I don't think the defense is, you know, improved from from where it was last year. And last year's defense wasn't really good enough in a lot of ways. So, you know, you look at what's, you know, what's what assets the team has available and beyond Clint Benning, and it's a really it's a really interesting feeling about because I, I wrote a story today for for FanRag where I was looking at um, trades from last year's deadline that went wrong, and one of the ones that made the cut for me was uh, the trade of Chris Russell, um, and even a guy like Russell, who everyone knew up and down, like, hey, this guy is a black hole possession-wise. Uh, he's an, an undersized defenseman who's really only known for blocking shots. Um, sounds familiar. I don't know. Maybe the Rangers fans. But, uh, you know, what did he demand at the trade deadline because he was a name and because block shots looked really good to the Dallas Stars? You know, he demanded two prospects, including a former first-round pick and a second-round pick that could have become a first-round pick. So I was thinking in my head, like, all right, well, if the market price is anything like that this year, then I would be terrified if the Rangers trade something, a package to try and improve the defense. Um, Just because there's nothing, you know, we've said it so many times now, but there's, there's nothing left on the you know, in the pantry to there's no more horses left in the stable to, to offer up here. It's, you know, there's, there's not a lot the Rangers can do to put together a package outside of hoping that like, Hey, you want like three fourth liners? Cause we can do that. Um, you know, on many teams, the guys, the Rangers are playing in the fourth line would be third liners, but, um, it's an interesting thing to look at where the defense is now and where we would expect it to be, but especially kind of looking forward when you look at how brutal this division is and how, in many ways, how brutal this conference is. Just before the podcast, I was saying to Joe and Beth, the only team in the Eastern Conference with a losing record is the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I would have lost everything I owned betting uh, you know, betting against that happening. It's just, how is that the case? But that's just the way, you know, hockey is this season. For whatever reason, the Metropolitan Division is, you know, we don't talk about it a lot. The Rangers are the top wild card seed right now. But that's because the Metropolitan Division is a freaking killing field, you know. It's, <laughs> it's, there's going to be five teams from the Metro going to the playoffs, so. I don't know if you wanted to transition into that, Joe. I'll leave it up to you. Well, I was thinking it was an opportunity to just, uh, you know, to kind of move into that direction, which is, as you guys know, some of our Patreon subscribers can uh, send us the thoughts that they want to hear on the show, and they get the priority. And one of the questions was, right now, the Rangers are the number one wild card spot, which would pull them from the Metro bracket and move them to the Atlantic bracket. And would that be something that would be favorable to the Rangers? And before we even get into that, just two things. The first thing is the Rangers are in the first wild card spot. So obviously whatever good fortunes they had in the beginning of the year has sort of turned upside down and 
changed things, if you will. The Rangers were at one point one of the best teams in the, in the NHL. Now they're sitting in the first wild card spot. Some of that is because, like Mike said, the Metropolitan Division is just a, a killing field right now. Um, the second thing is Montreal, who is at the very top of the Atlantic Division with 63 points, would not be – they would be tied with the Rangers for the wild card spot in the Metropolitan. So that is just how much of a gap there is between these two conferences. Yes, it would be good for the Rangers to back their way into the playoffs right now into that wild card spot. You, you'd get Montreal, you get Ottawa, you get Toronto as of right now. You, know, you, make the, you avoid the, the Washingtons, the Columbus, and the Pittsburghs. But we kind of talked about this two weeks ago. If you're a true contending team, I don't care who you're playing in the playoffs. You don't care who you're playing in the playoffs. You just want to play anyone because you don't care. You think the team is good enough to handle anyone. And I, I get it. You, you, might, you, know, you might want to play someone other than another team, but you're not scared of anyone. And I am terrified of a seven-game series really against anyone, but especially against the Metropolitan <laughs> Division. Now, I don't think the Rangers would tank a la the Islanders last year. But I don't also see the Rangers making some ridiculous run to, I mean, I could see Columbus falling off, I guess, but Washington and Pittsburgh are just well-oiled machines at this point. And they're terrifying. They really are. And Mike, I'll, you can you can jump in on this one now. You know, me or Beth? You. No, well, go ahead. No. Uh, Beth I was wants thinking to about Greeks, things being Greek stuff. Um, yeah, it's, you really, I think the Rangers, even though, you know, we've seen what the Rangers have done against Washington in the past, and, you know, there's been plenty of success there. It's still, they're a very spooky, spooky team. Um, early on, we were celebrating the Rangers' goal differential in the season, and Washington, Rangers have a plus 40 goal differential. Washington has a plus 54, but more importantly, at even strength, the Rangers has a plus nine goal differential, and Washington has a plus forty. So, if you think about you know where hockey games are won, um, it's at even strength. And comparing those numbers, you know, at face value to each other is, is pretty telling about which which of those teams is more, you know, more of a force to be reckoned with. Um, I, I haven't gotten to watch a lot of Montreal this year, um, particularly uh, for understanding the impact of uh, Radulov and what that team looks like. I know they've been without Gallagher for a while, so they're not at a, not at a hundred percent, but um, they, I don't know. They scare me a little bit less, but it's, I do understand Joe's point as to if you know if you're a real competitor, uh, you know, come what may, you'll play who you'll play. But um, just seeing how in the kind of peaks and valleys of the season, I don't really have that uh, that nonchalance with the Rangers. I think there's a real there's a real sense of you know that you definitely want to be playing yourself into that Atlantic bracket just because it's going to be less difficult. It's going to, you know, especially a team like the Rangers who looks like they, they could be built, you know, if, if the right guys get 
hot at the right time and, you know, if they hop on the right hot hands and all that good stuff, they could <laughs> go pretty far. But um, it's a weird thing to think that we're only right now uh, a month and a couple of days away from the trade deadline. So, you know, as as that nears, it's going to be a topic that we can't avoid on the podcast. And I don't want us to talk about it all the time, but really there's no escaping the fact that what happens on the trade deadline is going to determine a lot and not just what happens this year. It's going to be what it costs. And, you know, the Rangers have a really, really young group of forwards. I mean, there's a lot of teams who have a younger core, especially at forward than the Rangers do in the league, like Edmonton and, you know, Carolina and all that. But when you look at who the Rangers have, you know, guys who are under 30 years old and or even, you know, 28 years old, it's a pretty young group. And, you know, there's a lot to build on there. But uh, I don't know. I, I'm curious, you know, if Beth would rather see us play the Capitals or the Canadians at this point, just because, I mean, if the series happened today and the rosters were what they were, um, I think for me it's, it's a no-brainer. But what do you think, Beth? No, I agree with that. I, although I did just give an inordinate amount of useless thought to how much fun, how the Rangers could win a Super Bowl. Um, because from where I'm standing, the problem is not that we could beat anybody. We just can't beat anybody four times. Um, <laughs> yeah, I see what you're You know, saying. like I'm just so jealous of that, you know, beat them once, move on format right now. Um, because I think the Rangers would excel and rise to the occasion there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd have to go with the, I'd have to go with the Canadians. I think, um, I just can't imagine. Uh, yeah, it just, it seems like the safer bet, but again, there's still sort of a wall at the end of that first round in my mind. Um, that I can't really see past. So that we're even talking about this, uh, I believe, says a lot about the state of the team. And, and I, I don't. It's very difficult for me to sit there and say. A lot of people are like, oh, when when everybody comes back and they're all healthy, it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be just like it used to be. But not necessarily the case. It's when you look at what the Rangers have kind of become, it's not necessarily something that's, oh, look, the Rangers are going to start scoring 50 goals again, and it's going to be amazing. It's it's not like that. The Rangers have a serious issue on defense with other teams being able to relatively rapidly figure out what to do to shut them down. And over the course of a seven-game series, you better believe that you're going to have an opportunity to figure those things out. And I think we've seen it from a a couple of different teams. Some of the teams in the conference are doing it. And, you know, you throw that neutral zone trap out there and the Rangers kind of become like, well, what the hell do we do? And we'll see. I I, I honestly don't know what we're going to see come the playoffs. Like we've said, I'd be very surprised if the Rangers did not make the playoffs, but I'm not this confident, you know, guns blazing, let's play whoever, I don't give a shit. I'm really not. I I think the Rangers have some bigger 
psychological issues that they're going to have to work their way through. And, you know, I don't know. Also, I, I, don't, I, don't know I mean, go. let's but, just, I was just looking up some ages. There's no, what other goalies in the Metropolitan are um, over 30? Lundquist is going to be 35 by the time the playoffs start. Uh, Price is 29. Holpe's 27. Um, you know, it matters when you've got that kind of, you know, relentless schedule. Um, you know, it matters whoever you are. But, you know, even if we've got, and I'm not going to say the top of his game, that, that, that phrase is starting to make me a little bit crazy. Even if we <laughs> Hank is playing at his absolute best, that's still a 35-year-old guy playing a ridiculously, you know, body-abusing position for however many games at age 35. Um, and that's another reason to kind of wish for the path of least resistance, too. So say again, but Michael, again, sorry. Yeah, I say. in my opinion, that's another reason to kind of cheer and wish for the path of least resistance, meaning oh, yeah. going into the Atlantic bracket where, you know, the teams, you know, after, what is it, after Montreal, Ottawa, and Toronto, I mean, and then the next Atlantic team that could could challenge in there, but they're a little bit far behind. They're what one point behind is Boston, so, you know, it's, Boston, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, and take playing them over Washington, Columbus, Pittsburgh, and Philly any day. Yeah. It's, again, that we're having the discussion says a lot about the state of the Rangers, probably more about the state of the Rangers than what a lot of people think. <laughs> Excuse me. And I don't want to – I really – I hope it's, that does not come off as a negative thing. I don't think it's wrong – to realistically assume the Rangers are a we-are-what-we-are team. But, again, you see the Rangers can't go all in again. They just can't. You you, you don't have that ability because you've done it three years in a row, and that's part of the reason why I kind of want to see a trade trade of Grabner or or even Nick Holden, where you have these guys who are not going to stay at this level forever. Grabner is not going to shoot at 22% forever. Neither is Nick Holden. So, if you have yeah, the opportunity to, to move these guys, you should, at, least, at the very least, think about it. And I don't know that there is a small chance that they will continue shooting at that percentage. But the law of averages just says that eventually Grabner is oh, going to yeah. slow down. Shooting 19.75% at even strength is very normal for, for a guy getting... 16 minutes of ice time a night. That's very, you know, God bless what he's doing. I, I, I still don't understand how he's doing it, but uh, it's, it's not, um, it's not a horse that's going to run forever. Well, and he couldn't do it last night either. I mean, the Kings just didn't. Grabner makes people pay for mistakes, no matter how small they are. He makes teams pay. Um, just that one puck that's in the wrong place for however many seconds or, you know, just a few inches off. Um, and he didn't get that opportunity last night. Um, so, again, that's 
kind of, I mean, I don't know. Do you guys agree? I mean, I think that's where most of his, he's the, you know, I know I go too hard on the bird metaphors. Um, bird <laughs> but, metaphors? You know, Have the, you ever used a bird metaphor? <laughs> outside of his butter duck? off the duck. There's one. Oh, that was, maybe that one just stuck with me. But, you know, I mean, he's going to swoop in and pick up whatever, you know, you leave vulnerable for for seconds and i don't know i feel like this just makes me feel like we should talk about poor jimmy bc and that's his title by the by the way now he's not the boss he's poor jimmy bc (laughs) it sounds like the beginning of a bad nursery rhyme doesn't it yeah it does i like that it even has a sweet kind of like broken rhyme that slant rhyme poor jimmy (laughs) bc fell down the hill or um on twitter and it's just we he's kind of hit a wall i think he's admitted he he's hit a wall um yeah the college wall but the reality of the situation is when ab continues to use the fourth line as a punishment which is sort of uh you know something that he's been that he's been doing um well, very few coaches use it as a vacation. Well, some of them do. You know, some of them think it's nice down there with the other the other crab people. I was just waiting to make my if best avian puns and references kept going that your GM should be Dave Talon. Oh God, can you imagine? Um, oh, I'll just be quiet now. I apologize. You can kind of attribute VC's drop off to that. That it is kind of a wall. How many games do you play in college? Forty something, forty two, forty eight, maybe. So we're kind yeah, of at that 30. point in the NHL season. This is a tough. It's a tough road to climb, and it's part of the reason why Hayes' skills were and, and what he was able to do was so jaw dropping as a rookie, because you just you see a lot of guys tail off. There's a reason why it's like that because it happens. And it would not shock me if, and but again, this is where I get fired up. You fired me up now, Beth. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you know okay. he's tired. It would not be the dumbest thing in the world to say, "Hey, BC, you're going to sit out a couple of games. Take a breather, relax, sit in the press box, It'll watch a couple, games. a couple of games." And I mean, unless he thinks that maybe the All Star break is going to rejuvenate him, and, and maybe that's the thought process. But I would not be against Vigneault telling him. You're going to sit a game or two every now and again. You'll play every eight of ten games for the rest of the year, and then you'll play every playoff game. Lord knows there'll probably only be four of those. And that's the end of that. But they don't. And it's, it's something that he, he seems reluctant. He, Vigneault is like the king of the healthy scratch, but not when it makes sense. Not when you're going to rest Girardi on a back-to-back or – try to rotate Clendenning in or whatever. And I think that's part of the reason why it's so frustrating, at least for me. Maybe I'm an idiot. I mean, you know, the, the people with the, the pitchforks and the torches still have not found him in the trees. So, <laughs> Well, there is, I think there's something to be said about, you know, it's been, I was just looking at, you know, his, his game log. It's been six games since VZ put a shot on net. That's, um, for a guy who, you know, I think it's, not at all, you know, offensive or side the lines to say that he's an offense-only kind of a guy right now at this stage in his career. That's that's a crazy run of games where six games, 
without a shot. I mean, and he hasn't picked up a point since the last day of December. Um, in the goal against uh, Colorado in in Colorado. So, um, you know, it's it's a really it's a weird thing to. I guess in many ways it also highlights just how good Booch is. But when you look at, you know, how how Beasy has looked in against, uh, his ice time's been really low. But, you know, Vino used him a bit more against the Kings than he had been using him. But, you know, his ice time in the last six games, you know, 12 minutes, 8, 8 minutes, 39, 6 minutes, 18, 11 minutes, 2, 11 minutes, 42, 14 minutes, 10. And this is a guy who's not – what What would be the harm in sitting him out? You know, I'm kind of with Joe here. If, if you're going to play the kid 10 minutes every night, you know, maybe let him get some rest, especially, you know, you know, I know there's – you know, with uh, with Kevin Hayes out, there's, you know, a little less flexibility with, with the depth of that forward, you know, and, and having to play uh, Pumple. But um, – it's a it's a weird thing. AV has a lot of really really peculiar coaching patterns, and when you see something like oh Demote Kreider the fourth line, hey look Pumple scored, you know it's very quickly kind of uh, erased. You know etch a sketch gets shaken and you're like ah you know it was really weird, but look Pumple scored. <laughs> but at the same time it's like no hold on, why why was Pumple in that situation? Are you are you suggesting that Kreider who is just Pumple, but with 50 pounds of muscle, couldn't have done that, you know? Uh... <laughs> that pass was so good that, I mean, yeah. I won't say well, I could have done Girardi that. And had a, a good breakout pass, too, to, to get to that point. But this is the thing that bothers me, because here's what would, here's what would probably happen. Vigneault will sit VC, but we'll never know why. We'll be surmise off of whatever we can guess. It would be, like, if you're going to go hill. that route... Just say, hey, listen, the kid is used to a 40-game schedule. We're in game 45. He's tired. I'm giving him a couple of nights off. That's all. This isn't a punishment. This isn't anything. I want him fresh for the playoffs. But it won't get to that point because that's not the way that he operates. It's, it's just not the way that he – it's not the way that Vigneault goes about his business. And, look, I, I get it. He plays his cards close to his vest, and it is what it is. But the, the reality of the situation is the people are hungry for information. They want to know this is not – you are not the president guarding or potentially right now not guarding governmental secrets, You're like lower body injury, upper body injury, all that nonsense that, that we live with every single day. There's so much more to that aspect of things. A lot of other coaches who are much more willing to give that information and, and like the senators, for example, just announced that they would be releasing cap hit numbers for all their signings. And that's something the Rangers don't do. It's like a team-wide effort to keep as much information off the public eye as possible. And fruitlessly, might I add, yeah. Well, sure, in a sense, fruitlessly, but also in a sense, we don't necessarily have a media that is prying, a media that you know goes in and, and breaks those stories. Larry Brooks is the closest thing we have, and even he's kind of died down a little bit in that regard. So I would love to see a more open and a more explanative Elaine Vigneault, but we're not going to get that, I don't think, ever. So it's up to us to go in and just say, like, all right, listen, this is what we think is going to happen, and everyone goes, oh, it's coach speak, you can't read into it. But 
more often than not, things that Mignot says where you're like, huh, that sounds kind of, that doesn't sound smart. I hope he doesn't do that is something that he ends up doing. And uh, listen, I'm, I'm certainly splitting hairs. He, he just won, I think he just coasted his 1100th game is one, like some of the, one of the highest winning percentages in that total. And I am not trying to take away from the fact that Mignot is a, a good hockey coach. What I am saying is he has significant flaws, flaws that have followed him from Vancouver to New York. And he has also been blessed with two of the better goaltenders in the league. And in the case of Henrik Lundqvist, maybe the best goaltender in the league in their primes. So you need to color in the picture a little bit because it does change things. It really does. It's like saying, oh, I, well, whatever. I'm not even, it was, that was going to be a terrible analogy. I'm not, I'm not going down that road. It's just, it's, you have to look at all sides. You really do. Because it's one thing to say, this is a guy who has been a sum of his parts coach and he hasn't coached good teams and they haven't had the pieces there. That's not true. Vancouver was very, very good. A lot of people like to point to Vancouver and say, oh, look at how bad Vancouver got when Vigneault left. Vancouver just got old. He got off that <laughs> ship as it was sinking. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And they have a, a terrible general manager, and, and the Rangers seem to be – they're on the older side too, but in the right places, they're young, and there's still, there's still an ability to move forward on this one. And um, I would like – I'm very curious to see what we're going to see out of Jeff Gordon. I really am because at this point, it, it, could, be, it could be a ton of things. So, um, can I ask yeah. when did when did when did fourth line was it during the injuries that fourth line went because I mean that was that was part of the you know the superlative conversation at the beginning of the season was the Rangers having four scoring lines you know you didn't know who to match up with who because every line could score um, when did it go back to being you know you were bad go here for the rest <laughs> of the game line and and what why would you not go back to the four scoring lines, never let up thing? But now I'm confused enough to not remember who scored what goal when since the lines haven't been consistent. So yeah. correct me if I'm wrong there, but it does seem it like it's was the timeout injury. corner again. Ooh, the timeout corner. Get in the timeout corner. Mike, what are your thoughts on well, that? I think, I think it was the injury. Well, I think, well, I think the, the best way, you know, if, if someone has the time to sit down and, and work through it is to really look at, because to me it boils down to shifts per game and ice time. And I think early on in the season, it may have been just the illusion that they were getting more ice time because um, in the preseason and in October, the fourth line and third line were looking so damn good and we're, you know, piling up points. Um, but, you know, and lately we've seen, like, when I just read out, you know, VZ's time on ice, like, there was a time in the season where no Rangers forward would get, you know, below 10 minutes of ice time a game. And now, you know, we see pretty regularly guys like, uh, you know, Lindbergh and, you know, lately, curiously enough, VZ, the guys who or played for 10 minutes or less than, you know, when for whatever reason Vino is like shortening the bench or, um, you know, he'll just decide, you know, like, you know, he doesn't want to see player X, Y, or Z. And um, the thing that's always very vexing to me is 
like what the parameters are for him demoting players. Like we've seen it for, you know, bad penalties. Um, we've seen it for like really simple or kind of goofy turnovers. I'll never really forget the uh, a Brady Shea had a pretty really clear and obvious interference in front of the Rangers net, you know, about a week ago, I think. And then he just kind of sat for the rest of the period at the end of the bench. And it was just like, Oh, all right, well, that's his way of saying to a young guy, you know, like, Hey, you, you messed up kid, go have a seat. You know, here's a sippy cup, here's a coloring <laughs> book, figure it out. But when it's someone like Kreider who, you know, Kreider is the best, possession driving forward on the team in many ways he's he's the best forward on the team not named Zuccarello like uh kicking him down to you know the fourth line against the team that you need a guy with Kreider's speed and size against the Kings it was a really head-scratching thing so I'm not sure we can really without really digging into numbers if we can figure out when that shift happened but I agree with you Beth it definitely did happen at some point where all of a sudden, we the expectations, I think, and the identity and role of that line changed. Um, and it's not just because, you know, the personnel has moved around a little bit with the injuries. I think there's something more to it. It's just like AV couldn't help making that line a line where, you know, unless you're one of his kind of chosen guys who will march out there almost regardless of what's going on, you know, insert yes per fast joke here but hmm. it's those are the guys who he turns that into really like a line that sends a message you know there's a message being sent to guys like like VZ where you know he, the 14 minutes of ice time he got against the Kings was the most he's had in eight games or something and this is for a guy who very well could be an important part of the future of the team, and this is his rookie season. So I don't know what lessons there are to be learned from that. Granted, I've never coached, and especially never coached an NHL team, but that definitely that that did shift at some point, That the identity and role of that fourth line. You said you think it came about from the injuries, Joe? Well, yeah, because that ended the promised land of 12 12- skill forwards and turned it into yeah. hey we have a fourth line again and yeah but why did we revert back into the 12 skilled forwards when you know even you know prior to the Hayes injury you know the Rangers were for the most part healthy outside of stall before uh you know before Hayes injury I know Pumple's only recently gotten back but you know, with Buchnevich, the Benajad both back and Nash back when those guys all came back on that same little window. The Rangers were back to that kind of opening night, holy crap, look at all this talent in the forward line. But we and, haven't seen it kind of return to that. Well, and this is where the way that it I look, I, I'm I can't even pretend to know how other coaches coach in the league because I just don't have the time or the energy to go around and watch and see what you know the Jack Capuano yeah. is, although that's obviously a terrible example right now, but the, uh, the Mike Joe. Babcock or the uh, yeah, the oh, now you threw me off now. I had other names and now I don't. <laughs> anyway, 
Um, I don't have. I don't even pretend to have the time to to go through and try to see how they coach. What I know is that Tom Rennie, John Tortorella, and Vigneault have all used the fourth line as sort of a punishment, and it's alarming because Vigneault uses the fourth line as a defensive unit now. So when you punish players onto it doesn't really make sense, but whatever. And for the first glorious few weeks of the season when there were no injuries, we did not see that able to be used as a punishment because Michael Grabner was down there. Brandon Peary, when he was actually scoring goals consistently, was down there. So there was mm-hmm. no – you put Buchnevich down there, nobody really batted an eye. You put Kreider down there, it was just another skill line. And now – they kind of, with the injuries and with Pumple and Peary and Fast and Lindbergh, it, it kind of has worked itself into a no-man's land in a lot of respects. And yeah. Vigneault takes advantage of that. He, he, VC's been down there forever, and you're not using it as a defense-first line with VC down there. At least you shouldn't. But that's the way that they're deployed. And I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing a VC struggle in the first place. It's tough. I mean, think of all the players that, like, Kevin Hayes spent how long on the fourth line last year with Tanner Glass, and people are like, well, he's not producing, so where else is he going to go? Well, maybe he's not producing because Tanner Glass is his line mate. Have you thought of that, you friggin' genius? You, you, oh, boy. You, it's, not, it's not hard to put those things together. Now, there is no Tanner Glass anchor on this fourth line as much as Ron Gay wants there to be, and he does not <laughs> stop tweeting about it. Uh, I am still of the mind that Pumple isn't exactly creating a ton of offense. Peary needs offense created for him because he hasn't gotten shots off on his own. He needs those passes like Sultan Stepan last night. So wh- where is VC supposed to generate this offense on that line? And that's kind of the question. It's, that's what it becomes. Well, something else to consider is the fact that Grabner did start, if I'm not mistaken, I think Grabner did start the season down there. And, you know, because the kids were, Vizi and Buchnevich were used in the top nine, unless I'm mistaken. So maybe there's something to be said about, you know, Grabner being removed from there and that kind of changing that line, um, you know, that mind's role and identity because right now it seems like when Grabner yeah. is shooting at the net, he just for him it's like shooting at the ocean. The puck's going to go in, or it's going to go off the crossbar. Um, but it's uh, I don't I don't know I, I I want very much to to understand like um, the methodology and like the what really what what Vino is hoping to kind of harvest from from putting a guy like easy in that role just because it's harvest. Yeah, well, <laughs> what do you expect to harvest? But it, it, I'm, it's, 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 it's important to me just because it's when you look at a guy like VZ who comes from being, you know, the stud of his college hockey team and being one of the best players in the nation, um, you know, and being as good as he is, putting him in a role on the fourth line and asking him to do stuff like, I'm not sure he's going to get a crash course in NHL defense by being screwed over and, 
every time he makes a mistake, his lifetime gets cut in half. And that's kind of where he is right now. And it's a really, uh, it's not a road that will get him to where he needs to be. He needs to be in, you know, a scoring line role or in a, in a sheltered role, kind of like, you know, the role where, you know, the Miller Hayes Grabner line was where it's just that line always got, you know, it bled shots and it got, it's got its ass kicked in possession, but they always got chances on the rush and they always created high danger scoring chances. But unfortunately, when Hayes was healthy, you didn't want to tinker with that line just because, for whatever reason, they just they always made it work. So I don't, I don't know. It's a really weird thing watching VZ kind of, uh, very ironically, according to Beth's uh, bizarre <laughs> fable that she made up before, roll downhill and on the depth chart here, you know, poor Jimmy VZ rolling down the hill because <laughs> I don't know where oh. where he's going to end up again. We could sing a song about that. Poor Jimmy VC rolling down the hill. He rolls, he rolls, he's rolling down the hill. Oh, there goes Jimmy rolling down the hill. Jimmy rolling down the hill. That was quite impressive, Joe. Yeah, Joe, that was, I have to admit, we have our own folk songs now. Easily. You just rolled uphill with that song, my friend. Um, Oh, my God, it feels so good. But. Yeah, this is like the first compliment I've ever paid you on the podcast. This feels uncomfortable for me. Um, I don't know what to do. I think should end the show immediately. Save it on my head. But, you know, it's easy. I think one goal in his last 19 games and no shots in his last six. And we all know why he's here. He's 11 goals in 47 games. And with that drought, he's here to score goals. And if you're yeah. putting him in that role, he's not going to do that. He's not going to score goals if he's... <laughs> playing with Oscar Lindbergh, playing eight minutes a night on the fourth line, with or without Joe's great song. Uh, well, the thing that just ran through my head was he's here to score goals and punch Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm all out of Nazis. I think he's doing butter I mean, and dust and punching Nazis. <laughs> it's the I first time I've ever cheered for assault in my life. I keep forgetting BC's there, and then all of a sudden he'll sort of swoop by, and I'll be like, oh, Jimmy BC, and then he's gone again. I mean, if he scores just nine more goals this year, which I think is feasible, right? Nine goals. Very feasible, yeah. Especially if he's he's a 20 goal scorer as a rookie. Who in the world would turn away a 20 goal scorer as a rookie? And that's something I think a lot of people don't realize. Goals are exceedingly rare. The best players in the league score half a goal a game. So over the course of an 82-game season, you're not going to score in 25% of the games if you're a 20-goal scorer. Or excuse me, in 75% of the games if you're a 20-goal scorer. So you do go through those slumps, those ups and downs. And they're normal, and that's great. And Well, not great, but it's fine. What you have to do is you have to dig into the other parts of the slump. VC hasn't gotten a shot on goal in six games. That is something you should be alarmed about. He's rolling down the hill. If he has 20 shots in those six games and no goals, that's a totally different story. It's, it's just not black and white. It's not black and white. It will never be black and white. Hockey is never black and white. Um, Who was the last Rangers rookie to score 20 goals? Um, if you would allow me to bring the podcast to a grinding halt 
I will. No, that's who probably what we should be talking about. The last Rangers rookie to score 20 goals. I have no idea. See. I think it, in my head, I know who it is, <laughs> but I think well, it's a very I think it was Tony I think it was Tony and Monty. No, Puka. Oh him. God, you have to be right. It it has to be he has to be, it has to be Puka. Whatever okay, well, most rookie well, Okay, so most we, most go goals as a rookie. Yeah. Puka is the earliest name on the list with thirty. Jesus, he had thirty. Amati had thirty-five, <laughs> so I wasn't wrong in a sense. I was just wrong. In no, Tony you're, Granato you're had thirty-six. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think it would have to be Pruka, because if not Pruka, it, it, it's insane. Well, how often do you have a twenty-goal rookie scorer? Well, that's that's really what makes a guy like Vizi all that more special is the fact that really. You know, he, in some ways he's a little below pace now, but, you know, up until this, this drought where I mentioned, you know, the one goal in 19 games, he was he was 20 goals in the bank. Like, he was going to get to 20 goals, even with expecting, um, you know, uh, his pace to slow down after the college wall. Like, I I remember looking into that at some point. I was telling myself, oh, yeah, he could still do it. He'll still get to 20 goals. And not going to happen if he's getting nine minutes of ice time every night, you know, or whatever the hell. Oh, my God. So This is amazing. You ready for this? So I'm trying to find actual definitive proof, and I I can't anywhere. But everybody has – the Rangers website has, like, records. (laughs) A Mm -hmm. player who played in 1951-1952, a rookie, scored 26 goals for the Rangers. His name, Wally Hergensheimer. Wally Hergensheimer? Wally Hergensheimer. That's got to be a Rangers trivia question we, somewhere. We are going to find out more about Mr. Hergensheimer right friggin' now. What did that you sounds do? Like the name of a character I would have made up when I was like 11 well, years old. The first thing that comes up when you type it in is obituary, so that's not good. Oh, boy. Uh, oh. Yes, he has passed God away. There's a, yes, God rest his soul. Uh, <laughs> Wow, he had a he had a hell of a career. He had well, maybe not a hell of a career. He had two hundred points in three hundred and fifty one NHL games. Five eight one fifty five. My goodness. Oh, wow. His rookie oh, wow. year he had fifty nine points in or excuse me, he had thirty eight points in sixty eight games. Look at him. This guy was this guy was pretty good. Traded to the Blackhawks, played for the Buffalo Bisons, Calgary Stampede, the Los Angeles Blades. So those are WHL days. Wally Herkensheimer. My God, what a name. That is a hero. Of well, course, then. now that we've been doing the podcast for forever and already in the overtime, I just realized the best way to find the most recent 20-goal season. So if you guys can just get up airtime, I'll slowly but surely find it. Unless you don't want to. Is it hockey reference? No. Just going to NHL.com, you can stat, you can do the stats and then sort by rookies alone. Um, and then just climbing back every year. Oh, my God. Mike is going to be climbing forever. Or rather, um, rolling downhill. And, 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 
I don't think I could reproduce that song if I wanted to. I would have to listen yeah, back to it. Yeah, you're going to have to go back. And, but that's Jimmy V.B. We'll rolling down the hill. We'll rolling, rolling. Yes. Um, no, I just went proud yeah, Mary there. Hayes had 17 in his rookie year. Uh, he oh. was the one that I thought would have been close, uh, but I Kreider knew he didn't and get Hayes there. Kreider both had 17 as rookies. Yeah, and there's, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think there's anyone else that would even, at least the past few years, would even, you know, come anywhere near that total. Well, they, well it's another important part of this. Is the Rangers so rarely, and I know some people, um, especially Predators and Sabres fans, would be quick to point out that he's not truly a homegrown guy, but Rangers very rarely produce homegrown, you know, forward talent. Derek Stepan, 2010-2011. Stepan. 21 goals, 24 assists as a rookie. And a hat-trick his first game. Other rookies from that Ranger team? Mike Sauer, Zuccarillo, McDonough, Dale Weiss, Brachev, Kolarik, and Brody DeFont. Oh my God, the worst! Yeah. I would not have guessed up on him. Oh, yeah. you know what? You get so, you take your shots, you get one. The Rangers got their one. Yeah, so it's been it's been six years since the Rangers had a, a rookie who had a, a twenty goal season. That says a lot. Says a lot, really. Yeah, it says a lot about the Rangers and homegrown talent. And young kids, this you is not crazy about the B side. Yeah. What? Yeah, you're definitely one hit wonder, my friend. I'm sorry. Yeah. God, I both of you. You're gonna have to yeah. go on like each one storytellers, and everyone's gonna <laughs> wait for you to do your one good song. This is this 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 is. Do you remember the pop up video? What? Yeah, I remember pop up video? video. Oh man. Those are the days. I enjoyed it very much. I would mm. like a pop-up ranger game. Oh, that would be great. Pop-up ranger game. Anyway, this is Bantering the Blue Shirts, where we sing and dance and do other things. Pay for this. Patreon.com slash Blue Shirt Banter. Uh, you can find if me at any website slash Blue Shirt Banter. Beth at Twitter.com slash Beth Macklin. Mike at Dig Deep BSB. And you can also find him on FanRag Sports, because sometimes... He writes for the enemy. The enemy. The enemy. Anything else the two of you want to add before I go to sleep because I'm tired? <laughs> um, I think I'm good. Before Stefan, it was Peter Pruka, who had 30 goals and 17 assists. God, dude, Tom Rennie ruined him. Also, Wait, so the podcast that year was Dominic Moore. Aww. You know who else had a crazy year that year? Aaron Voros. He had like eight goals in the first like seven games, didn't he? I'll take a look. I remember Voros, man. Jack, yeah. uh, Jack posts a lot of old school Rangers pictures. And, oh, uh, yeah, by the way, he's being fired. I meant to say that on the show for his little yeah, – I'm going to post he, a, pit, a picture of the, the King celebrating the Stanley Cup victory in the game thread. That is not okay. Yeah, the Facebook comments were not uh, uh, are not good. No, the, well, the Facebook no, Boros wasn't on the team that year, apparently. God damn it, Boros! All right, that was the one hundred twenty-three point year. Ooh.
It was a good year. It really was a good year. They made the playoffs for the first time. Then they got swept, and I was miserable, but whatever. Thank you, everybody who writes lovely comments on Patreon yeah. and iTunes oh, and tells uh, your friends about the podcast. You guys are yeah, the best. please Thank go you. rate us. Give us five stars. A couple of people gave us one stars because they're rude, but you can give us five stars. Um, really? People didn't? Uh, yeah, they, they said that we were whiners. Nah, they're crap people, whatever. Uh, uh, next week, we may have so a surprise. We may have, we may have a sponsor for the show. I'm working <laughs> on it with Blog Talk Radio. We'll see. Uh, it will surprise you well, who it is. No, it's not porn. Um, the loot crate? Because that didn't work. What? I'm going to bed. Because that didn't work. It's not loot crate, but we probably should not. <laughs> we probably should not announce loot crate. <laughs> they may be coming back. Do you know what yeah. Fleshlight is, Joe? Uh, I do. Beth, do you know what it is? Wait, what was the question? Just say yes. <laughs> I don't know. Now I'm scared. You should be very scared. Yeah. You should not trust us. But yeah, it's all right. We love you all. You walk away. We love you all. Not I apologize like you for just, you know, Yeah, please pay, pay for Patreon.com slash Patreon. Love you all. Patreon.com slash Patreon.